Hey everybody, this is Kendall from Recording Lounge. It is January 25th, 2012. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, this is, of course, the Recording Lounge podcast. Today we're talking with session bass player Les Hodge. He is a good friend of mine, and I've played in a couple bands with him before, and he comes in to do session playing often. Why? Because I trust his playing. He's a super humble guy. You know, gives himself a hard time. He's a great bass player. Great touch. Great ear. Um, always seems to just play the right part. I never really have to tell him, no, that wasn't good. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I, he'll come in and just be like, all right, what's the song? He, he, you know, and just play it right away. He just follows it. Somehow he can just jump right in as if he's been playing with the band for 20 years. So we're going to talk about session playing and just bass playing in general and just good technique and uh, just how to be a good musician when it comes to bass guitar. Uh, if you've been following, we've been uh, I've been releasing these shows about session playing. Uh, first was Josh, and I apologize for the phone conversation. It was a little hard to hear on some parts, but um, first we had Josh uh, talking about drums. We got Les talking about bass. Uh, this week we'll also have Ross talking about keys, and then I'm going to talk about session guitar playing. So without further ado, here is Les. All right, so I'm sitting here with uh, Les, and we're talking about bass and the studio and, uh, you know, playing and differences between studio and live and all kinds of stuff like that. Now, Les has uh, played on a handful of sessions. I don't, I don't even know, like 10 in the last year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a few, and, uh, you know, we never... It seems like we never do the exact same thing, whether it's on my part or his part. Um, so... First question for you, Les, is what do you think is the biggest difference between playing in a session and playing live? I think probably just having choices on 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 tones and I mean the first thing that pops to mind, which of course it's kind of a limited thing, but it seems like overdrives and tones like that are a lot easier to get in the studio for yeah, me. Yeah, they just, always muddy up. Yeah, in live. live they just they never just they never work out well. That occasionally it's either if way you have too a killer rig i mean yeah if you can have the di and the amp signal and yeah it just seems like it's either way too much or not enough so that's cool and then i don't know it just i guess I, I play simpler parts generally in the studio just i don't know i just keep everything cleaner yeah. i don't do as much and um you mean like fewer fills and stuff. Yeah, yeah like, like fewer fills and which I should probably just play like that all the time because <laughs> I, I generally, when I hear myself, I know I've always said I never regret underplaying. I always regret overplaying. Yeah, every time. that's that's so true. And so, um, yeah. So that to me, that would be the the two things. And you know, like I said, you can get away with. There's a lot of bands that I like that use kind of weird bass tones that I don't think you could get away with live as much. Really, like. Um, I'm trying to think of a band that would be a good example that has a like with the bass the bass EQ knob rolled all the way off like um really like garagey yeah real like, garage yeah. and punky sound that I don't know you could do live because it would I don't know it would get lost or it's too mid yeah because I think in the in the studio you can EQ like the drums or the guitars right. a little bit beefier to make up for it but live it's like you need the thump of the yeah. stage and all that I'm thinking LCD sound system or like kind of weird bands like that yeah yeah so so um since you think the main thing is you know being able to have different versatility in terms of your setup how do you go about choosing the right bass for a song if you're listening you know if you go to the studio and you listen to a song what's the first thing you really listen for to say you know i want to use this bass over this one well usually it's just 
the genre, the the kind of thing it is. I mean, I'm I I pretty much have a a magic P bass that kind of does everything yeah. <laughs> that I like. I mean, yeah. But you know, sometimes you need a jazz bass if it's something where you need to be a little bit more on top, almost a little more, or you need a little bite, you know. Um, and then I have a Gretsch, that big boom. It's real boomy, you know, and it's yeah. it's a whole note bass, you know, for sure. And uh, but yeah, it's I mean, hollow, right? Yeah, just the just to me, it's just the the genre. And I mean, the other, I mean, sometimes the like the, I listen to the guitars too, sometimes just to hear the tones of the guitars if they're if they're warm or if they're you know if it's a funky song and it's a real crisp clean part it almost kind of needs a crispier i don't know cleaner bass sound yeah and if you've got big you know overdrives and stuff just so do you find that you're more trying to match the guitars in tone or con- or like counter them i i tend to match more personally i don't know like hmm. i always try to think as just when, when you know if a guitar is hitting a big open chord i want to sound like a part of it as opposed to being on top of yeah, it. Yeah, like you're a, like you're a guitar. Yeah, and you are a bass guitar. Yeah, not. if if everybody just hit one note, I want it to just sound like one big sound, you know. Yeah, and like that, the back in black theory. Yeah, that and, whole thing. Yeah, and it's just and that's and that's a. I mean, some people don't, you know, and that's that's also true, you know. My bass choices when you there's guys that like a more you know like a Warwick or something that really sticks out in the mix. Yeah, and that's just not my thing personally. Yeah, now it's, it's interesting because some bass players you know have their bass and they say oh that's my sound and yeah. it's like well i mean i i say this all this talk i can't think of a time i've used a drastically different sound you know what i mean like yeah. I've, I've i went from jazz bass to p bass but it's not like a night and day yeah kind of thing they're pretty close yeah it's really not a big difference so and i and they, do, they I mean they they really shine differently in through through amps right but direct signals they sound pretty yeah. close the jazz bass Depending on the player, the jazz bass seems to be darker yeah. in some ways, but then it's it's weird. It's got more low lows and more mids, yeah. but less high mids and low mids. Right. And the yeah. P bass has the low mids and the high mids, so it's got like the punchy, bitey, yeah. all around good sound that you can add low end if you need to. Right. But the J, J bass, you never need to add low. Right. I mean, that's so much. It's low got end. a real clear bottom end, like a you know, and, and yeah, you can play it light and. And it's still you can still hear the articulation. Absolutely. Um, so, kind of about that, how do you go about decide? I mean, do you play with a pick or your fingers most of the time? Or I, um, I, I go about fifty fifty, honestly, on rock stuff. That's kind of you know quarter note or eighth note or sixteenth note or whatever driven, especially on like sixteenth note and stuff. Yeah. I just end up playing a pick because it's easier. I'm, I'm not a purist. Yeah. You know, I some guys usually it's younger guys, but some guys they don't. Oh, I never play with a pick. You know, and there's some songs that if you're not playing with a pick, you're playing them wrong because it's the part. It's the part. It's the right part. Yeah. Right. And so um, I have found that I've had I've had to catch up because I've gotten so lazy with the pick that my fingers have gotten slower on like sixteenth yeah. note stuff. Because I mean these. So if you do need to play with six, six yeah. with your fingers to get the sound, it's so yeah. So you gotta yeah, and, and then when you want to do something fast or a fill or something, you it'll slow you down a little bit on yeah. your chops. But it's like guys that play with drums and they lazy up their hi hat hand right. or their snare hand because their hi hat hand's doing all the fast stuff, right? And their snare hand doesn't get any work. So and so and you know and I also. Um, I'll I'll use a thumb, kind of a yeah a big boomy thumb on ballads and stuff. And I I 
I generally do that in the studio. I mean, live I'll do it. It usually only like a, a church gig where I'm padding something yeah. just to get a big, you know, tone without a without a heart attack. Just something to kind of fill in the background. Yeah, one thing that's really interesting to me is a lot of bassists think you have to play loud to get yeah. sustain, but it's actually the opposite, right? Because the louder you play, the more the initial hit is, and then yeah. Your your sustain seems quieter because your initial hit is louder. Right. It's like, but if you turn your rig up and then you play nice and solid yeah. and worry about like solid timing, that's that's a big thing. I didn't even know I did until a drummer buddy of mine, and I didn't think about it. He plays with uh, this guy Darren, who's a good player, but he's just he just he's just um, just like hammering the strings like just with meat, like thom thom. Yeah. It's a it's a a country kind of. You know, red dirt kind of band. Yeah, and he just he. Cr- I mean, he's just cranking on this. He's like he's pulling back a bow and arrow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I've always turned my rig up more and played softer, just easier on your hands. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and it gives you. It also gives you somewhere to go dynamically. I mean, if you're cranking on everything, nothing's going to sound big. Yeah, well, bigger if, than that, right? I mean, and so and so if you. If you've got your if you've got your your volume turned up, this is more of a live thing. But it's it works the same same principle in the studio. Yeah. When you're in a you know in a verse, you can kind of lay back and let it go, and and you know in 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 the studio you're gonna have compression and everything else, so it's not gonna go away. Yeah. And you yeah, can, you're still yeah. That's the thing. I mean, it, the good. I was reading this article about uh, Nashville bassist session bassist, and they were like they bring studio gear to the show, like they yeah. own studio quality compressors and right. They run them through their ampegs and stuff like that because they they're like. Okay, well, I want the uh, solid, you know, unmoving bass tone mm-hmm. of studio, but yet I want to run through my MPEG. Right. And so it's like, with all the tools we have today, you don't have to ever compromise, you know, playing and be like, oh, well, now I have to play loud on the, super loud on this section. It's like, yeah. honestly, in modern music, bass guitar is kind of designed to not move more than a couple decibels right. up and down. So right. it's like, if you just are lighter on your hand, yeah. I mean, and I, and I think that's another thing why, why you and I have had so much success doing tracks because not because of necessarily, you know, how loud you play. It's not really the loudness, but it's the evenness. The evenness mm-hmm. is really what gets it to me is like, you know, the evenness in a verse It's like, well, that... That means that the the compressor is going to be triggering the same way all throughout the verse, mm-hmm. so that it's not the compressor having to control you. It's that you're controlling yourself enough to where throughout the verse, you know, it's it's like okay, well, the compressor is compressing, you know, just tapping one one decibel or whatever. Right. But in the chorus, when you're playing, it's consistently tapping three decibels. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a very important thing. I think a lot of bassists miss is just yeah, and I mean that's. And also, all of this is so much easier when you have a good drummer. If you're playing with a drummer that had, plays with dynamics, yeah, I just naturally, you know, feel that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can feel when they get louder and feel when they yeah. get quieter, and, and when they play less and play more. And yeah, so. and you can you, def, you can you can when something's leading up to something, or you can just you just feels. I don't even think about doing it. Yeah, you know what a, I mean? It's like, a habit. Yeah. yeah, I've just I've just done it so long. That's just kind of how it happens. So, do you so. find that like do you find like as far as picking note lengths like quarter notes, sixteenths, you know, how fast mm-hmm. you're playing? Do you usually base that on how complex the drums are? Yeah, um, or like guitars. Really, how complex everything is. You know, the the more stuff is going on, the less I chop stuff up. Usually, yeah. I mean, when you're when you're it just. When you've got the or the hi hat, you know I listen to hi hats too. On a rock song, you can kind of feel where if somebody's playing a pretty straight, you know, two and four, yeah, it, you just naturally fall into the kind of the eighth note kind of thing. Yeah, to follow the kick and snare, yeah. but then the off beats too. Right, so, and so yeah, that's yeah true. That, and then, you know, and then if a if a 
if an acoustic part is crazy or or you know you got a, a busy or a busy rhythm player or whatever i just the the more stuff is going on the less i try to do and you get a big band with it's got keyboards and two guitars and it's there's all this stuff going on there doesn't need to be somebody else in there another rhythm part yeah unless unless everyone's pulsing together yes. that's the only really situation yes. i find that you know if everyone's going dun 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 then it's like okay everyone yeah. should be pulsing at the a same a riff or a pulse is a whole different story but on you know general chorus stuff yeah. like that where you're not necessarily pulsing yeah that's another problem i see in you know novice bass players they come in they'll they'll email me and they're like hey how's my mix and i'm like man the bass is just doing so much like there's mm-hmm. so much fills and there's so many parts and and another thing i think that's big is that i think bass players don't maintain their basses as well as guitarists maintain their guitars yeah and so i find that bass players have a lot of intonation problems yeah you know i, I never really you're probably right because i because so. i'm you know i i'm change my strings all the time and yeah. set them up all the time and just I, I it's like a nervous tick for me i have to have them playing well right because if i go up to 12th fret and it's out of tune i'm like oh my gosh this is driving me crazy but you know i'll have bass players in that sounds great up to like fret eight but when they hit hit higher ones i think you know and i think live sometimes a, a bass there's a little more leeway it's not really there but you know you can be a little bit out live and not notice it yeah. as much in the studio, it sticks out yes, big time. Exactly. And so, you know, it, I, I could definitely see that, though. I never really thought about it. I've, generally, the first thing I do when I buy a bass is take it to my setup guy. And, yeah, and there's stuff better than most drummers yeah. do. Jeez. <laughs> most drummers are like... Carry in. Yeah. They're like, how old are your heads? What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> heads get old. <laughs> right. are like, oh, please replace the heads. Yeah. And then they do, and they're like, this sounds great. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, I know. Right. The untuned drummer thing just kills me. Like whenever you see, I mean, I have friends that have they've been playing for years, and you still go don't see get them, it. And they still and just thud 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 thud. It's like, man, come on. Make them ring as much as possible, and then just dampen them. Yeah, they'll always sound better that way, rather right. than trying to detune them to dampen them. It's like just make them sing, like make them boom as mm-hmm. big as you can get them, and just put a wallet on it if you have to. You yeah, know? but don't. Because you're still going to get the true pitch that way. Right. But it'll be muted, so it'll be like, boom, rather than, right. you know, yeah. and they won't even have a pitch. And it's like, you want it to have a pitch, you just want it to be muted. Right. In the studio, you know, I'm always muting toms or whatever, depending on the type of genre, so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so so as far as your rig goes, how do you go about, in the studio particularly, choosing, like, I mean, do you prefer DI in the studio? You know, it's been so long since I've done anything but a DI. Mm-hmm. I mean, I typically, especially for home studio, people are going to be using Sans amps, yeah, which is a really good piece of gear, and it really, it, I mean, it does what it does. It sounds for a price that's not even, yeah, yeah. for for picking one up on eBay for a hundred bucks or whatever. And it's honestly for a while I used one instead of a head live. I just had my head was just zeroed out pretty much, or you know, all on. Tw- noon yeah yeah and uh and i uh just use that sans amp eq, your EQ. yeah and um and it's I had, popular, it was a rack- you know it's not like like it's one of those iconic sounds like a, right. fen- a fender amp you know that we've heard on recordings forever a sans amp was right heard on recordings forever and that and um and i will say this the rack mount sounds different than the pedal well the rack mount has a a mid control in it which i like um of course it's a rack mount so there's the problem which in a studio you know, Who cares? Yeah. But uh, live, I had to put you know put it in a in a rack and everything. Um, but 
Yeah, I I can't remember the last time. Honestly, I actually mic'd up solely, just mic'd up a, a an amp, in an a amp live or in a studio. I think when we so. did uh, teleprompter president, we did mm-hmm. we ran the both. Yeah, I, I remember that having both, but never just amp. Right. I, I feel like I don't know. I, I feel like I can't. The only thing I hate about doing both is that the phase coherency between them, because mm. one's a little off time, and right. so the bass isn't as tight. So you have to spend a while getting that nice and tight and even. And you can do it in the computer, but live you, you right. can't. So if you're running a bass and a DI through the house, it's almost like screw them miking up the the amp. They're never, they don't have the tools in the board to delay the phase enough. They don't have that. Right. I mean, it's, they just have a polarity switch. So usually it ends up to be like 45 degrees or 90 degrees out of phase, right. not 180. So when they flip it, it's a 180. So it's going to sound right. exactly the same, exactly. just just flip the other way. Yeah. And so, so man, I t- I always recommend people if they're doing live, run a direct feed from the amp, yeah, or DI only. That's yeah. the only way to go, because that's, that's what I did when I ran mine was I think I just ran it straight out. I had an SWR at the time. I think yeah. I just ran straight out of it instead of trying to run out of the Sans amp first and all that uh, okay so how do you go about choosing the right parts for a song like because i know obviously the the higher you play up on the big strings it sounds warmer mm-hmm. and you, know, you can play the exact same notes on you know fret two of the highest string but it sounds a lot more choppy how do you go about choosing like where you play on the neck um i don't know i i as far as, far as where i play on the neck i i try to save because i usually only play four strings i've been meaning to get a five string. I used to have a stingray that I loved and I sold it and uh I've never found one I liked as much or been a, needed one that badly. Yeah. But um I uh I I try to save like if if there's a song in E it, depending on a song, you know, I try to save the big E, the low for, E for, for a chorus part. or for a big part, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I, I tend to stay up on the low strings higher up on the neck just I don't know, just it's warmer and sounds better and there's it's bigger low end. Yeah. You know, for sure. And there's times, there's times that I'm, you know, on fret two on a on a G string, but it's not. It's usually a pickup note or a fill or something. It's it's. I'm never yeah. ever landing on a note like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if I'm gonna land a a, a middle E, it's gonna be on the A string, not you know. Yeah. On the the D. Yeah. So. Interesting. And really land on one, you know, for a fill, it's fine. But. I think that's kind of what those higher strings are meant for in most cases. Yeah. Is to- or in like quiet, quiet sections, if you want like the clarity of the, you yeah. know, if you want to hear it, but you don't want to feel it. Right. So it's there as like a pickup tone, like right. you can hear the pickup, the guitar pickup sound, the clunk, clunk, kind of the bell sound, but right. not the, not the jaw, jaw, you know, because yeah. that way I feel like it can be like if you're doing finger picking with like two fingers on like the top two strings mm-hmm. or something like that. Those are, it's really nice for that. But all other cases, it seems hard to, to use in a lot. I mean, maybe, maybe the D string, G. Yeah, I, even if I'm playing bass for something, I never. I ever I can't touch think it. of. Uh, usually, if I'm playing something like on the G string, it's at least above, uh, you know, the seventh or eighth fret. Yeah, and it's usually it's meant it's, to be high. And it's like a yeah, and it's like a high little filler part or a little kind of noodling kind of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. if during a, a not a jam, but like during a down part of a song or something. Yeah. Um, what what do you think is the most some of the most common problems in beginner bass players? Time, time, and time and feel are the two things that I think, and just 
having touch. Really, it's touch. That's the number one. If you if you if you've got bad touch, it messes up everything else because your your speed suffers. You know, just and at attack. You know, your attack can be bad, and it seems to be uneven if you're just hammering on stuff. Yeah. Um, I think having the having that touch to me, and just playing the changes and playing the time. That's the two things that will make you. About, I think a good employable bass player. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I, I have to preface all of this by saying I'm not good enough to be a super busy bass player. <laughs> like I don't have the chops to do it. And like if I walk into a guitar center, there's any kid that's sitting there jamming on a bass has got chops that I can't play. I mean, seriously, like I'll there's like un- un- unbelievable kids and people in general that are just sitting in their house and yeah. they develop these amazing chops. But then, if you put them on stage, you put them in a blues band. They got they, nothing. They don't. They can't do it. They don't make it sound right. And so, I mean, there are guys that do both. And I mean, I've got buddies that are both. They've got the everything, every tool in the. And they make in money the, doing it. Yes, and they make more money than me. But I think the the way that I the 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 things that I I don't know bring to the table. I'm trying to find a way to put it without sounding like a cocky jerk. Um, <laughs> What I do is the reason I think that people like the way I play is because I'm in the pocket and it feels good. And you play with the drummer too. Yeah, and then that you and listen the, to the drummer. The drummer is, you know, I people ask me who my favorite bass player is. I don't really have one. All my favorite I have favorite drummers. Yeah. Like that's my the first thing I hear when I hear a band is drums. Yeah. And luckily it seems like this younger generation coming up overall i think are better musicians than my generation i don't know if it's because we were 80s i mean i'm 32 i don't know if it's because we grew up in the 80s and everything was sequenced and digital or what i don't know i think it's probably i think a lot of it has to do with youtube youtube you know honestly that's probably a big part of it i blame youtube on better musicians because they know what's out there now yeah and they know from a young age how good certain people are. Yeah, they mean, can just Google best guitar, you know, YouTube. I mean, go on YouTube and type in amazing guitar solo, and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm nowhere near that. And so they want to practice and practice and practice versus before, before internet, before, you know, when kids in the 80s were six, seven, eight years old and they're starting to like want to play an instrument, you know, it's like, what should I play? Bass. It's like, oh, well, all you can do is listen to music and watch music videos and watch TV and play with your friends. And it's like, well, how good is the best person out there? Right. You never know until you, but when you see them, especially when you yes. can see them playing. And, you're and like, the other oh. thing about YouTube that, that I still use is I, I love when I have to learn something and somebody's got a lesson online yeah. where you can just, where somebody will break it down. And I know there's drum videos like that for sure, where there's, I mean, I've got buddies that do them where they're, they break down fills. Like, Half here's, speed and stuff like yeah, that. Here's yeah, here's this fill. Like, the, and so, and I've got, you know, I've got a bunch of my friends are all music teachers and they do these recitals and the kids in these, these, you know, 14 to 17 year old kids are blowing up my, I mean, there's, I've seen 15 year old drummers that I was, I would love to play with. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, they're, they're just, they're in the pocket. They're playing hard. They're hitting through the drums. They sound good, you know? Yeah. And so, but anyway, uh, back to the original. You've got, yeah, I always listen to the drums. You know, the only time, well, no, I never, I'm never not paying attention because you can get everything you need from a good drummer. You, your yeah. part is written for you. Your the dynamics are in there. If you're playing with somebody good, then the the feel is all there. The time is there. You, all you have all to the do, information you need. Yeah, is there, all you have I mean, to do is listen. It's almost like you 
you don't even have a whole lot of choices if the drummers are good enough. You're yeah. just you're in there to 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 lock up. You know. Now, what if you're playing with a click, or if like the drummer isn't that great? Do you more try to go with the click? Um, yeah. Is your priority then just staying in time? Just staying in. Just honestly, it's it's probably not the best. I don't usually live. You know, in uh, my church gig, we have the click in our ears. I turn the click off almost. Mm-hmm. I only have it on loud enough to where I can hear it in a in a quiet in a, in a break. Yeah. If it's a if if there's you know, so I can hear when to come in or when you know what I mean. But um, even if a drummer is bad, almost I would rather be playing to him in his bad time than trying to define the time. Yeah, than trying to than trying to drive the band, and it may mm-hmm. make the whole band sound worse. But I just don't think you're going to sound better necessarily. Trying, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's I and I do have you know one buddy that Rich Gilliland, he's got so much authority in the way he plays he can almost drag a drummer along with him and i've seen him do it before i don't know i i i tend to be way more reactionary with my playing where i'm just you know you're feeding off of them rather yeah. than kind of which i don't ne- i don't necessarily know if it's a good thing because then you end up playing to the level of the guys around you and then you don't sound as good you know what i yeah, mean if they're not as good yeah right and i've i've gotten spoiled because i play with all these great drummers yeah that now if i'm playing with a less than great drummer it's it, you know i'm not, i'm never a jerk about it but inside <laughs> in, in t- inside it's like come on man. give me give me something to work with yeah to so. make, you have to make me sound better right and that's yeah. i yeah so and it well yeah anyway i I've, yeah. i really have gotten spoiled by i mean i the guys that I get to play with are just they're phenomenal way better musicians than me and and musical drummers that you know one thing my a good friend of mine Steven who plays in a couple of bands I'm in is a guitar player and he always says to listen to he's like I always listen to drummers and bass players on arrangements and feel and stuff because they just you know good drummers yeah and that's you know the guys I play with they they tune their drums and they're I don't know either way to put it. I mean, they're musical drummers. They're 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 not just in there hitting stuff. Yeah, hitting yeah. stuff, and ba- but they're listening to the band and they're they're feeling it. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, it's kind of like uh, certain piano players. You know, will sit there and play basic chords and and hammer way too hard on the piano, and, and yeah. they just they don't they're getting in the way. They're playing too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the it's the part serving the song rather than the song serving the part. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's the same type of thing with vocals, too. When I'm mixing, there's a lot of people, you know, one of the most common questions online on forums and stuff is, oh, how do you get a vocal to sit in the mix? And, and I'm always like, it's the wrong way to think about that. You have to let the mix, let the vocal sit. Yeah. Like, if there's no room for the vocal to sit, it won't. Right. You can't make it sit. And it's like, if the guitars are playing and the keys are playing and the keys have these high-pitched frequencies that are hurting your ears, there's not going to be any presence room. Right. And the vocals are not going to sit there. So it's like, if you just keep thinking, how do I get my vocal to sit in the mix? It sounds like it's too loud or, you know, and then when I turn it down, then it's too quiet. And it's like, well, that's probably because something is in the way. Mm-hmm. There's not a carved spot for it. And I think it's the same way for bass and drums and, and piano and every, yeah. everything. I really think every instrument has its own frequency hole. Oh and yeah, it's like you got to find your spot. Well, if you've for got it. a if you've got a an organ player or somebody in there that starts playing bass notes with you, you'll start canceling each other out. I mean, yeah. you'll start phasing out, and so you got to have it won't sound bigger right. because they're adding the low notes, right? Yeah. And a lot of people don't think that way. A lot of people think 
Oh, know, huge oh, low end. This will yeah. be great because it's gonna have <laughs> it's gonna have three low E's on it or three B's. Yeah, and then it ends up being nothing. Yeah, because it physically cancels out the sound. Yeah. It's it's not. I mean, and it's just a property of sound. You have a very min. I mean, it's a very tight gamble. Yeah, that the exact same wavelength will be exactly in time from three different people mm-hmm. 10 feet apart on stage. It's like, that's a bad gamble. That's like a one in a million chance yeah. that those will be punchy enough. And it might, it might. Right. If, if your amps are set up maybe right next to each other, which they never are, right. <laughs> then maybe, maybe. But the well, only way I can see that happening is if, you know, the guitarist hits, you know, E, what is it, E3, I guess, or E2. Yeah, E2, mm-hmm. and you're hitting E1. And, you know, you hit the low E and they hit the higher E, that's a better chance. Yeah. And if the organ's hitting E3 or E4, you know, but if you're all hitting E2, you're not going to get it. It's not going to – it's a really interesting idea. Which is, you know, back to the other – as far as the five-string thing, which – it's another reason I don't don't feel a huge need to get a five-string is because a lot of – PAs aren't even going to grab those low notes anyway. I mean, you'll get a rumble, you know, but, but the clarity in it. Yeah, and and even in the studio, the thing that which unfortunately most people they're going to be listening to music are going to be listening to it in earbuds and on laptop speakers. And so it almost Yeah, when I record a five string, I have to do some serious processing yeah. on it to to bring up the second harmonics, not the first. Exactly. Because when you those low harmonics are There's, so low. I mean, the, it's hard to get a mid in a there. A low B is like what is it? Thirty-one hertz. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it. You know, the only th- honestly, the thing I miss about having it is having the D, the D, yeah, and the D yeah. flat are nice. Because so, D and E are so much more common yeah. than B low. But B. that low B, when you drop it live or in the studio. It's a tough. It, it you'll just get a rumble and the presence will just the mids will be out of it and it'll just be a, th- a low hum almost. And that's why so many people like their stingrays because yeah. they're so bright that yeah. the low string still sings. Yeah, and even uh, I've been working with the band recently and the bassist has a five string and I tell him like save it, save it until yeah. the big part because it's going to sound killer. Yeah, if you save that low D. For that awesome part, it's going to be oh, like, yeah. oh man, Absolutely. huge lows. I mean, that that's a string you really want to save. Yes, is the five, and you know, when you got guys starting to, you know, play all over it, it's like yeah. not only is there no clarity, it's about as loose as like a piece of rope. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I was get- in, I was in a band that tuned down a whole step, so. <laughs> My my stingray with that stingray, so that was a low A, and it was just worthless. It was just a, it was just a loose. It was just a like a bag of wind. It was a clothesline wire. It was just hanging there, rattling. It sounded like corn or something. Where it was just. I see the lowest bass I've ever recorded is actually a baritone bass, so it made Mm -hmm. it great because it fit was tuned to A sharp. Yeah, Um, I think that was it. I think it was A sharp. Which, was, thinking back, since it was a whole step, I probably should have just played it in the regular tuning. But I was like 20. Weird. That would have been weird. Well, yeah. Because then your scales would have not made sense. Yeah. But um, yeah, they played an A sharp. And it sounded great because it was a baritone bass. Right. But any lower, if they were to do it down to A or something like that, it would just sound terrible. Right. I mean, a sharp is a pretty low tuning for oh, a metal yeah. band. But I mean, um, you know. So, okay, last question. Yeah. Last question. Cool. What is your best advice for people learning to want to play better in the studio? And, I mean, obviously we've given lots of good advice today um, about playing, but, like, tips for, you know, training your ear to listen to things and, and training your hands to... You know, what, what's some advice you can give people to get better at that? I, or, or even at 
I mean, I can help people with this later, but um, advice as far as studio goes to help the recording engineer get a better sound? Um, as far as just, I guess, just listen to listen to the guys that are doing it. I don't know. Like, I think when you start getting chops and you start, as you start to get better, you start wanting to fit everything you know in the, into every song. Yeah. And if you turn on, you know, not that the not that listening to the radio is the best experience in this day and age, <laughs> but if you listen to like the guys that are working, you know, if yeah. you listen to Nashville guys, yeah, for sure, there's no fills. They don't play. I except, mean, except like right before the last chorus, right? Or like the intro. That's it. There, like there'll one. be one big. I mean, I played a country album on a country album a few years ago, and I don't recall hitting anything but pickup notes here and there, just yeah. to walk into something. But there was not a lick on it that I played. Yeah. And I'm ha- and I'm I'm happy. I mean, I'm, I yeah. wasn't happy with the overall recording, but my bass parts. When I listen back to them now, you know, years later, it's like, hey, this is fine. You know, this is this sounds good. Yeah, I didn't get in anybody's way, which I think is my my main concern when I play. Yeah, or I hope to not get in people's way. I think hum- like being humble as a bass player is a hard thing. Same thing with drummers. Like drummers and bass players can't overplay ever. And, well, really, no one can overplay. Yeah, I mean, but you can. Yeah, there's guys that. Guitarists have a little more leeway to yeah. get away with it, but ba- when bassists and drummers overplay, the whole song falls apart. Yeah, I guess. And as far as getting a better sound, generally every studio I've ever been in, what you, I mean, you just gotta have a nice. You gotta have nice gear. If you have a nice bass, everything else will take care of itself. I mean, if you have three crappy basses, sell them all and buy one nice one. Yeah. I mean, if if and whatever that is, I mean, I obviously my I've I've like old Fenders and. And my Gretsch is kind of a unique deal. But I guess just um, you're usually pretty much at the mercy of the engineer or the producer when you go into the studio. You, you know, and, and a lot of guys are just going to plug you straight into a Sans Amp. Even in a really oh, nice some, studio, yeah, some DI somebody and... will hand you a, a Sans Amp. And the, oh, oh, one thing I will say, if you have a nice bass, is don't be afraid to turn that blend knob back and let your bass sound come out of it as opposed to, you know, Sometimes, because the the sans amp in particular, I don't know. I've never really played through a lot of other DIs that you, were. Yeah, you and I always run through. You and I always run just a tube DI with no EQ. Right. And so. And so you're 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 pretty much at the mercy of the, whoever is recording you. Yeah. So uh, the the only and the only defense against that is to have a nice bass. Is yeah. to just give them the, the best tone the you cleanest. can straight out of your out of your cord. You yeah. know. Yeah. So, but yeah, I guess that's my my take on that cool. well thanks for taking the time to answer yeah. questions i hope that people take your advice and actually listen because it's good it's good advice for sure thanks for having me man all right so that was less if you guys have any questions about any of this stuff great info please take his advice he knows what he's talking about um if you guys have any questions about any of this stuff or anything email me at recording lounge podcast at gmail.com uh check out facebook facebook.com slash recording lounge Pretty sure that's it. Recording Lounge. Um, and also check out the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com. And uh, if you have, like I said, have any questions about anything, just go ahead and email me. Thanks to anyone who's already emailed me. I hope I've helped you out. Um, again, special thanks to all of you who have left reviews on iTunes, on the iTunes page where you can, you know, star at five stars or whatever. Um, and, and you guys have left some really nice reviews. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, I wish I could you know, send all of you a dollar or something for, for all the nice things you've said. So, um, but 
but definitely thanks so much. And um, I, I'm I'm really excited to do these shows. I, I'm going to continue doing them as long as I can. And like I said, I'm going to try to do one show a month. I want to do multiple. This month we'll actually have you know four because of all the session ones. Um, but I wanted to release them all at once just because they're all in in the series. You know. Um, so anyway, uh, I also do freelance mixing and mastering. Um, so that's definitely available cheap rates, especially if you're a listener of the show. Um, so I'll give you a little special treatment there. So if you, again, if you have any questions about that, you can email me recordingloungepodcast at gmail dot com about you know mix, mixing. You can send me your files or just mastering. You mix your stuff at home, great, but you need it to be louder and prouder. Send it to me and I'll master it. Um, I'll even master it with analog gear. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Love you guys. I will talk to you soon. Uh, the next show should release in just uh, maybe maybe even tomorrow, in just a couple of days, just so um, editing down some uh, of the conversation with Ross about keys. So look forward to that. Talk to you guys soon.